Let's bring it on. Another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Here we are. Boy, you are really taking that to heart there. Uh, I am loving life. Nothing good is ever achieved without enthusiasm. Wow. Where did that come from? Holy smokes. Wow, sorry. I didn't walk. Didn't realize I was no, walking into a funeral just, dirge here. No, no, no. It just... The angels sing, I guess. <laughs> get fired up. You have to get fired up to make it through the day. Oh, yeah. I like it. We're, we're going we're gonna to do the uh, Brandon Bennett's philosophy. A little Zen moment with Brandon. Yeah. You know, years Everybody ago. Everybody does a downward dog as he talks about it. Years ago, I used to teach a leadership class at the University of Nebraska at Kearney, and I would always start off with my leadership thought of the day. So there is Brandon's leadership thought of the day. Nothing great is ever achieved without enthusiasm. There you go. That's wonderful. I'm going to remind my children of that when they're supposed to be cleaning their rooms. True. <laughs> All right. You well, let's fire this. up. Yeah. We've got uh, Bob Brogan on business and Susan Littlefield in the ag headlines today. Well, good after. I always said afternoon. See, I'm already enthusiastic that this day is going. Yeah. Good morning. We've got Arkansas farmers talking about dicamba. That's coming up at 1219. Thanks to a fellow farm broadcaster out of Iowa who tracked down one of the farmers that's been a part of this whole lawsuit craziness that started in Arkansas. At 1245, farm groups identify priorities as the 2018 legislative session is officially underway. Had some fun, interesting reads of some of these bills. Have you kind of scratching your heads and wondering yeah. what the background is? We'll find out more about that. Okay. Then at 117, it's an epidemic and we know about it. have been talking about the opiate issue in rural America. Two groups that normally don't like each other have come together. Farmers Union and Farm Bureau to work for a better cause on this. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah. Well, that, and that's going to be a two-part series. Some topics that do break through all of the uh, all the guidelines. Exactly. There. Now, I want to talk about uh, pain here for a second. <laughs> yes. Because uh, Susan, uh, if you have been following us at all, you know that Susan has a right thumb injury. Yes. That was exacerbated. By, I guess it started with a steer. It did. It started with a very irritated, naughty steer who tried mm-hmm. to run me over. Uh-huh. And now you've had this thing on for six weeks now? Uh, three and a half. Three and a half is all. Okay. Yes. How's com- that going then? And I understand the the cast is ready to come off. The cast will come off tomorrow. They'll reevaluate. So I'll either get a new cast, get a hand splint, or have surgery. And the way it's hurting today, I it's going to be one of two, and I don't think it's going to be a hand splint. Oh, boy. So we'll see. So I'm going to go from Minnesota Gopher Colors uh-huh. to Minnesota Viking Colors if I have to have a new cast. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Then we'll all sign that for you. Sounds good. All right. Brandon Bennett's on sports. Speaking of the Minnesota Vikings, let's talk about another team from the NFC Norse division. If you feel a little warm front coming in from the Northeast, that's because of the dumpster fire that currently is the Green Bay Packers. Not only have they moved their general manager from one area to another, he's now in an advisory role. They've also fired their offensive coordinator, their defensive coordinator, their defensive line coach, and their quarterbacks coach. So plenty of openings right now if you like football Mm -hmm. in Green Bay, but most importantly, speaking of football, we're going to hear from a former Seward Blue Jay who found himself the center for the Wildcat, Kansas State Wildcat football team. We're going to hear from him and his experience in the recent Cactus Bowl big win. Bob Brogan has business. Playing off the theme of enthusiasm, the Dow Jones Industrial Average traded above 25,000 points for the first time today. In fact, it's still trading above that. So we're going to continue that enthusiasm into the noon hour.
and uh, and beyond, you know, in, to infinity and beyond. All right, jumping jacks, everybody. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take in our ag weather now. We've got Paul Perkins in here for Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. So tell us what's going on here. We've got lots of sunshine, and the temperatures seem to be like Jekyll and Hyde across Nebraska. Yes, uh, west to east, uh, big difference in the temperatures. We do have temperatures right now as warm as the mid-40s over northeast Colorado. That compares with some low teens, even some single digits in far eastern Nebraska right now. So. Yikes, it haves and haves nots. Definitely. We do have some nice temperatures, though, in many locations. A lot of us into the upper 20s to low 30s, especially in west-central Nebraska. And then we have some mid to upper 30s over western Kansas, those mid 40s on it to northeast Colorado. Right in central Nebraska, a lot of locations in the upper 20s to the low 30s. Then starting to see those upper teens to low 20s from about Ord down to Grand Island and Hastings towards the York area. And then those low teens in much of eastern Nebraska where they did have some sub-zero temperatures this morning. Those temperatures in much of the west and central, the warmest we've seen in about a couple of weeks thanks to a warm front tracking towards the east. Patchy fog will be possible tonight, especially along and west of Highway 281 in central areas of Nebraska and Kansas right near that front as it stalls out. Temperatures will be cooler across the central and east tomorrow. That front moving back to the west as a cold front. A warm-up arrives over the weekend as a ridge of high pressure pushes in from the west. Some low pressure expected to track southeast towards Oklahoma Saturday night and Sunday. That system taking a bit farther south farther south track than previously thought and so right now it looks like our chances for rain and snow will be on the low side mild temperatures will persist for early on next week a system in the midweek could bring the plains a chance to add some moisture it's a system that does bear some watching but still quite a few discrepancies to work out regarding the track and strength of that system during the midweek come next week it is reflected in our long-term precipitation outlook we'll get to that in just a bit in the long-term temperature outlook for Nebraska and Kansas. Our temperatures should be near seasonal or near normal for Tuesday through January 17th. Those temperatures may be a bit closer to the warmer side next weekend through the 17th as warmer air approaches from the west. On the precipitation forecast for Nebraska and Kansas, we are expecting above normal precipitation, especially that mid to late part of next week, then a trend to near normal precipitation next weekend through the 17th. The latest drought monitor is out, and right now it hasn't changed from last week. 91% of Nebraska experiencing dryness right now. The exception, the eastern panhandle, nearly all of Nebraska abnormally dry right now. The far southwest panhandle in moderate drought. All of Kansas continues to be dry and mostly abnormally dry. The moderate to severe drought in Kansas covers the south central and the southwest. A weak La Nina weather pattern is expected to continue until March. La Nina typically brings more rain to Southeast Asia and Eastern Australia, but triggers the drier weather in Southern Brazil, Eastern Argentina, and the Southern U.S., and that has been reflected of late. Weather factors driving the markets include a mostly dry forecast for Argentina and Southern Brazil and increasing dryness in the Southern Plains. It should remain dry across the Southern Plains wheat areas this next week to 10 days. That dry weather, along with the recent strong cold wave, continue to raise concerns over possible wheat production loss. Temperatures will get warmer, but precipitation will remain sparse. The next week in Argentina's crop areas, it will be mainly dry, expected extreme heat, and below normal rainfall will increase the risk to crops there. There was rain this last weekend in 
Cordoba, but a hot and dry forecast will quickly use up that moisture. In southern Brazil, also more caution this next week. The far southern areas may have drier and hotter weather than previously thought. Ag weather brought to you by Holder Irrigation, of course, your Ranky dealer. And we do see, you know, we finally figured it out. We talked about it yesterday, <laughs> uh, about what it looked like, cloud cover. And what we're seeing here, reflected on that visible satellite picture, is all the snow that still exists. Over, it's like, you get right down to the Kansas-Nebraska border, it's like, zoop. Yep. No more snow. Yeah, especially, yeah, Imperial to McCook and then points basically to the south and west of that. Mm-hmm. Hardly any snow cover, but much of Nebraska still uh, has uh, quite a bit of snow cover. And you can see it on the visible satellite photo, which is available on their weather page here at krvn.com. Just go to our weather page and you can look at that visible satellite map. And due to the clear skies today... It looks like there's cloud cover over Nebraska and northeast Kansas, but it, there is not because yeah. that snow is reflecting back on the satellite eye. And it looks and like there's cloud cover, but it's just the snow on the ground. And also that drought monitor map is going to be, that, that'll make a big difference when, when that is going to melt and, and to keep those, uh, at least the topsoils, uh, at least a little bit on the moist side. But boy, you really see where they haven't had it and where it's going to be awfully dry. Yeah, and it continues to dry up. And of course, that's where those warmer temperatures are too, over at western Kansas. In Northeast Colorado. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. is hitting rural America hard, but two leading agricultural organizations are jumping in to bring help to rural communities. Plus a look at the upcoming ag census and throwback marketing is coming. That's all ahead on the Rural Radio Network. I'm farm broadcaster Clay Patton. The opioid epidemic is one headline that continues to circulate across the country. Now, though, the impact to rural America is becoming better known. The Farm Bureau Federation conducted a rural America survey on opioid abuse in late October, and the results show that about 74% of the 2,200 ag producers, farm workers, and rural residents surveyed have been directly affected by opioid abuse. Three in four of those surveyed responded that it would be easy for a rural resident to access large amounts of opioid painkillers. To help bring education and awareness to the problem, the nation's two largest general farm organizations are teaming up, the American Farm Bureau Federation and the National Farmers Union. They announced yesterday that they're starting a new campaign called Farm Town Strong to raise awareness of the crisis and impact on farming communities. The campaign will also provide resources and information to help farm communities and encourage farmer-to-farmer support to overcome the crisis. To help drive the campaign and make information easily accessible, the two organizations have created the website farmtownstrong.org. Here anyone can access the data that highlights how strong rural America has been hit by the opioid epidemic. The website also helps to start on the road to recovery with treatment and prevention information. American Farm Bureau Federation President Zippy Duvall commented that farm country has been hit hard by the opioid crisis, even harder than rural America as a whole or big cities. It's going to take everyone working together to combat this crisis to make a difference. That's why Farm Bureau and the National Farmers Union are teaming up to show unity on this issue and encourage farm families to help their neighbors. If you are a farm family member have been affected by opioid addiction, It's important to talk about it so that others will know they are not fighting this alone. 
As 2018 dawns, NASS is gearing up for the next agriculture census. The census is a complete count of U.S. farms and ranches and the people who operate them. For those who participated in the last census of agriculture, they will see new questions in this year's census. Eric Gerlach, state statistician for South Dakota, explains what's new in the 2017 census of agriculture. Well, there have been several revisions and additions to the 2017 census, and a couple of examples will be that producers are going to see new questions about a military veteran stand status, along with expanded questions about food marketing practices and questions about on-farm decision-making. The changes to the census help USDA continue its mission of serving all people involved in agriculture. Well, they can also expect changes in how they can report. While always there's the traditional way of reporting through the paper-based form, many improvements have been made to the online reporting option, and we certainly encourage producers to use the online option. And also to remember that while we've talked about some changes and talking about some very specific situations of populations, the entire content of the census is ultimately to advocate for all of agriculture by quantifying those economic contributions of our nation's farmers and ranchers and showing through numbers and data just how important they are to the counties and states where they reside and what they mean to the social well-being of this country. Finally, today, McDonald's is looking at bringing back Arch Sauce for their fresh Arch Burgers at a select number of locations. Arch products haven't been seen since the 1990s. This may pair well with the NCBA bringing back the Beef It's What's For Dinner campaign. Keep a straight row. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dicamba continues to be a hot topic. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Fellow farm broadcaster Ben Nully shared this interview he had with an Arkansas producer talking about dicamba. Joined on the phone by Perry Galloway. He's a producer in East Central Arkansas and a commercial applicator. Uh, Perry, uh, you've been involved with uh, uh, or been around this situation as far as the dicamba uh, situation goes in Arkansas. Tell me, just first of all, just tell me a little bit about yourself. Okay, thank you for having me. Uh, Perry Galloway from Augusta, Arkansas, kind of between Memphis and Little Rock. Farm about 8,500 acres. About 4,500 acres of soybeans, 4,000 of which are the uh, extend of the extend technology. We did use the product Ingenia, which was the only product labeled in Arkansas on our soybeans this year. Uh, we planted mid-April, made our first applications, oh, probably 5th, 10th of May, and uh, stuff works great. We're at the uh, ground zero for the uh, Palmer pigweed resistance, both glyphosate and PPO. The first established PPO-resistant Palmer amaranth was found on my farm in 2015, confirmed by the university. And as far as this situation goes with dicamba, uh, you've been in the thick of things. Kind of tell me how you've either been involved or watched things play out. Well, we made our own applications, I think I said early May, uh, really no problems. I did did have one issue with the neighbor. It was resolved. It was my fault. It was a direct drift. It was not volatility. So we learned a lesson there. Of course, the whole state, there was over 900 complaints for uh, symptomology. The state plant board tried to uh, or was attempting to satisfy all the people, that, all the farmers who had the cupping and do something about it, and uh, they banned it effective 
July 15th of, uh, of this year. And, uh, we're struggling to get it back. And what's on proposed right now, after numerous meetings, is a ban that goes into effect April 15th of 2018, which would, which would, uh, not allow us to use it in crop over the top of soybeans or cotton, because you gotta remember we're in Arkansas, so there's stand cotton. What problems would that cause for you if that's not extended, uh, past April 16th? We have no, uh, no technology, no product, no herbicide to control Palmer amaranth. And for those of, that don't know what Palmer amaranth is, uh, they produce at least a million seed a year. And even you have 95% control, that still is 50,000, uh, potential seeds per acre. And the things grow to the size, I like to say, of a Christmas tree. So it's a disaster. The only way we can do it is, uh, hand labor. And that's just not affordable. We have to have this technology. Now, have you been part of this petition to get this date extended? Yes. Uh, me and six other guys, or seven of us, have petitioned the plant board to amend their April 15th cutoff to May 25th. And what that will allow us to do is get in one over-the-top in-crop application to our soybeans and cotton. And we think we can manage from that on. And, and the reason behind that and I need to explain this, is uh, if we're talking volatility, that's almost a temperature issue. It's not really a date. So May 20, and the, the agreed temperatures for where the volatility really gets bad is somewhere between 85 to 88 degrees. Almost everyone degree, agrees on that. Thanks to Ben Nolley for sharing that story with us. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports today with Brandon Betts. Good afternoon, Dirk. A former Seward Blue Jay found himself starting at the center position for the Kansas State football team this year. Though he only played in two games last year, Adam Holtorf started all 13 games for the Wildcats this year, and he said the hard work has finally paid off. It was something that when it happened, I was, I was real happy about it. It was the culmination of a lot of hard work over the years. It was something I'd been working towards you know, a goal I'd been striving for. It was a big honor to be able to earn that starting spot. Had a lot of people reach out to me either, you know, by call or text or social media. It was a great feeling. It meant a lot to hear from people back home and it meant a lot to me. Holtorf was named a second-team academic All-American and becomes the first K-State offensive lineman to pick up the honor since 2003. Holtorf and Kansas State capped off the season with a win over UCLA in the Cactus Bowl, finishing with an overall 8-5 and record. And earlier this morning, the Omaha World Herald Big Red Twitter account tweeted that junior wideout Stanley Morgan will return to Nebraska for his senior season. The NFL's coaching carousel continues in Green Bay. Packers head coach Mike McCarthy says the team is working through some hard times following a disappointing season. After Green Bay finished below 500 and missed the playoffs for the first time since 2008, McCarthy announced yesterday that defensive coordinator Dom Capers, defensive line coach Mike Tregovac, and inside linebacker Scott McCurley were all let go. Then today... Head coach Mike McCarthy announced that offensive coordinator Edgar Bennett and quarterbacks coach Alex Van Pelt were also the latest coaches to be let go. McCarthy says the situation with Bennett is fluid and they are still communicating, while Van Pelt's departure was a contractual, personal issue. All of this change is happening while the Packers are also looking for a new general manager when the team announced last week that Ted Thompson was switching to an advisory role. And speaking of the NFL, they might be getting more people tuning into the coaching carousel drama this year. 
than actual play on the field. Viewership for the NFL broadcast during the regular season dipped once again in 2017 and by a larger percentage than in 2016. The average audience across the NFL's broadcast partners, which includes CBS, Fox, NBC, ESPN, and the NFL Network, all dropped by 10%, while 33 of the top 50 TV programs since week one back in September were NFL games. This season's decline follows an 8% decline last year. ESPN, which included its streaming audience, has the lowest drop among the four networks with a 7.7% decline. Fox had a greater than 9% drop, NBC dipped more than 10%, and CBS fell more than 11% compared to last year. All is not lost, however, as NBC's Sunday Night Football is still on pace to be the most watched primetime show for a record seventh year in a row this year, and ESPN's Monday Night Football dominated the key male demographic from ages 18 to 49 for all 16 of its broadcasts. That's a look at sports. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You're listening to the Rule Radio Network. Mostly clear skies in central Nebraska tonight with some patchy fog early in the evening in central and western areas. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska farmland owners who rent their property out to a veteran could get a bigger tax credit under a bill introduced in the legislature. Senator Carol Blood of Bellevue introduced legislation that would expand the state's beginning farmer tax credit program. The current program allows a 10% tax credit on cash rent or a 15% credit on the value of a share crop for property owners who rent to a beginning farmer. Blood's bill would expand the incentive to 11% and 16% respectively if the property is rented to a beginning farmer who is also a veteran. Blood represents a veteran-heavy district near the Offutt Air Force Base. The measure has won the support from the Center for Rural Affairs, a farm and small-town advocacy group. Supporters say a load of potatoes that spilled across the roadway forced closure of eastbound Interstate 80 yesterday. The Nebraska State Patrol says a semi-driver veered onto the interstate shoulder to avoid another vehicle a little before noon yesterday, but the semi soon struck the underside of an overpass about two miles east of the Giltner exit. The trailer separated from the tractor and spilled the spuds. A piece of heavy equipment was brought in to remove the potatoes, and the patrol says the lanes reopened around 4 p.m. The truck driver wasn't injured. A fiddle once owned by country music legend Roy Acuff is expected to generate thousands of dollars for the Goodwill organization in the Kansas City area. The fiddle was donated anonymously to Goodwill of Western Missouri and Eastern Kansas and is being sold in an online auction at shopgoodwill.com. As of this morning, the high bid was $7,700. Acuff is a Tennessee native who died in 1992 at the age of 89. He's best known for such hits as Wabash Cannonball and Tennessee Waltz. The fiddle was made by Evart Acuff, Roy Acuff's uncle, in 1945 using wood from a family farm. It isn't clear why it was donated to Kansas City Goodwill Store. There is some angry reaction to Attorney General Jeff Sessions' plans to change the federal policy affecting the states that have legalized marijuana. Sessions is rescinding a policy that let legalized marijuana flourish without federal intervention across the country. GOP Senator Cory Gardner says that the Justice Department has trampled on the will of the voters in his state of Colorado and other states. Gardner says this contradicts what Sessions had told him before he was confirmed. 
Your phone is just one click away from closings and cancellations when you use our app. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. They want the legislature to focus on property tax reform and relief. Good afternoon to you. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting for the Rural Radio Network. On today's Newsmaker, we hear from three Nebraska farm groups as they prepare for the short 60-day legislative session happening at the Nebraska State Capitol. Like most other farm groups and organizations, Farm Bureau uses a delegate process to determine priorities. Ansley Mick is Director of State Governmental Relations for the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Well, our number one priority continues to be property taxes, and we heard that loud and clear again at our annual meeting. Um, our members are, you know, kind of suffocating under our tax system currently. Um, ag pays way too much in property taxes, even, you know, just generally, but also compared to a lot of our neighbors. So that's the number one issue. Um, we'll keep looking at various ways to address that. And we've looked at um, different things from paying for schools differently, um, adjusting our school funding formula, um, you know, just paying for for local services a little differently. Um, we looked at a variety of different ideas and obviously there's going to be a combination of um, paying for things differently and also maybe some cuts that can be looked at. Uh, there's legislative proposals out there. There's a ballot initiative um, kind of looming, I think, that everyone's watching closely. Um, so there are a lot of ideas and, and we are just kind of looking to put all the pieces together and get some real relief. Much of the same over at the Nebraska Cattlemen, Laura Field is the Vice President of Legislative Affairs. Really, we've been paying high property taxes for years. Agriculture has seen such a tremendous increase compared to the other sectors. But we also know the residential property taxes are going up. A lot of the commercial folks are seeing increases depending on where you are in the state. But for us, those members of ours in the rural parts of the state where there is no other tax base to turn to, they're just really maxed out. And so we're hopeful that we could see some adjustments happen. We are, are very supportive of the money that's currently in the property tax credit fund. We think that process works well, and if that money can stay there and be added to to really help continue to give that direct relief, that would be good. If that money is repurposed to where it's direct property tax relief that can be guaranteed, I think we'd be interested in looking at those kind of uh, uh, solutions. We've also been in favor of seeing some of the three-legged stool adjustments happen, which unfortunately probably means some tax increases. I think for the ag community, we realize that there's a lot of sales tax on services out there that are not collected. We don't have a magic formula for what that looks like, but if we need to talk about that, including coming to the table with our own ideas on what is that, how does that impact ag, are there things that we enjoy today that we need to put on the table, I think we'd be willing to have those conversations if it meant overall net property tax relief for agricultural folks. When it comes to property tax relief, there's a few different options, both inside the legislative chamber and on the outside. John Hansen is president of Nebraska Farmers Union. Well, there's three different approaches right now in play. There's legal challenges. Those are still being considered, and I think that there's uh, folks that will pursue that. Uh, there's a citizen's initiative, of which we're also a part of that group, looking and evaluating that as an option. In uh, uh, both of the first two options, uh, the preferred option would be the legislative package. And of the legislative package, uh, we have shifted about $1.2 billion worth of annual costs for funding K-12 education uh, from income and sales to property since 1998. So we need to address that shift and we need to be having a mix of income and sales. We need to look at our tax sales tax base, our income tax, uh, some of our things that we give away, uh, some of our business incentives that are not cost effective. And we think from all those three different areas, uh, we need to be able to try to put together a package that provides property tax relief for 
homeowners, for property owners generally. The ballot initiative that Hansen alluded to is a petition drive seeking $1.1 billion worth of property tax relief. Nebraska Farm Bureau is also prepared to sign on to that plan if the legislature fails to act on property tax relief and reform. Absolutely. We have for a very long time had almost every option on the table. This year our delegates said um, they would approve of a refundable income tax credit um, going toward relieving property taxes and that's basically my understanding what the ballot initiative would look like. So yeah, we definitely have the authority um, as Farm Bureau staff and as leadership to pursue any idea that's out there. So what is this ballot initiative? The Omaha World Herald reports that if enough valid signatures can be gathered, the property tax petition would be a proposed law before voters in next November's general election. The proposal would provide Nebraskans with income tax credits equal to 50% of the property taxes paid to school districts. That amount would be roughly 30% of the total property taxes. As written, the credits would be refundable, meaning that people would get a check from the state for the amount by which the new credit exceeds the amount of their income taxes. State Senator Steve Erdman of Baird said he plans to offer a bill in this legislative session that would match the petition language. But if the legislature fails to act, well, expect some signature gatherers across the state. Well, I think that's a really good point. You know, um, when folks get frustrated enough, I mean, the, the people in this state are really the second house. And for 30 years or better, the legislature has refused to truly act on property tax. There are opponents to that plan, such as Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts. Taylor Gage, a spokesperson for the governor, said the governor supports property tax relief, but not in a steep increase in state spending that the proposal would require. He said in a quote to the Omaha World Herald, to pay for this proposal, the proponents would have to pass massive tax increases, cut virtually all state aid to K-12 education, or have other unacceptable impacts on priorities Nebraskans care about. On top of the property tax issue, there's also a budget shortfall. Laura Field explains. Similar to last year, we're coming into this session with a budget shortfall. So while that doesn't necessarily directly impact Nebraska cattlemen from a you know risk of programs or anything like that, it's always a concern because when there's less money to do things with, that obviously is less money to provide relief with on the other sides. Lawmakers are faced with a nearly $900 million shortfall. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskit. Time to get a review of the livestock futures trade with Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, a uh, little uh, sell-off here in the uh, cattle today right at the very end. Uh, we uh, really didn't have much news today uh, uh, regarding any of uh, the cash side of the trade, other than the uh, cutouts at noon were off just a little bit in the choice which I don't think really had a major effect on the market at all. The market just acted tired as we got near the end of the day, and I think uh, what we saw was uh, people vacating, it, tired of trying to uh, uh, move higher, and uh, we've done it now for a couple of three days, and nothing was happening. And I think uh, some people just decided to uh, take, uh, take to the exits. And that put some pretty quick uh, selling pressure on the market, and we finished lower uh, uh, in the live cattle and in the feeders. Uh, feeders seeing some triple-digit losses in uh, some of the uh, back months. So uh, a little change of direction today. That, it created uh, reversals in both the uh, live cattle and in the feeder cattle. Just the opposite over in the uh, hogs, acting tired but still higher. Uh, just not enough 
momentum to carry them uh, to a greater height, uh, just moderately higher today. Cash seems to be the uh, uh, catalyst there. Cutouts were a little lower at noon, but the cash seems to be firm, and that uh, got us higher uh, closes uh, in hogs. Thanks, Joe. You can reach Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. The opioid epidemic in rural America is now stronger than it was once thought to be, and two leading farm organizations are trying to help lead to the road to recovery. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm farm broadcaster Clay Patton, and I'm joined today by Will Roger, Director of Policy Communication for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And, uh, Will, glad to have you on today. Please tell us about uh, the survey that helped lead to some of these startling conclusions. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, it's it's been a, a matter of significant discussion over the last year the the fact that rural america has been hit hard by opioid addiction uh, it used to be we thought and really to be candid accurately that drug addiction was largely uh, a thing that happened in in the cities and sometimes in uh, uh, suburbs surrounding them but the last uh, decade or so has seen a real spike in in rural addiction of all sorts and we thought here at the farm bureau that we want to take a closer look at what's going on in farm country itself, not just rural America, but amongst farmers and ranchers and farm workers. And that that sprang out of, I think, just an interest uh, by our president, Ziffy Duvall, uh, to hook up with Roger Johnson of uh, the National Farmers Union. He wanted to work with Roger and have AFBF work with NFU to work on, you know, things that are of real common interest to us. We don't always agree on policy issues, but we want to work on opioids. And so we launched this survey in last, last fall uh, to take a look at just how bad the opioid epidemic is amongst farmers. And the numbers we got back were surprising, dismaying, a little shocking. If you go across rural America right now, you'll find that 45% of rural adults generally say they have been directly impacted by opioid addiction. By directly impacted, we mean they have been addicted, they have known someone who's been addicted either in their family or a friend, know someone who knows somebody. They've really seen it firsthand. When you look at farmers and farm workers, however, that 45% jumps to 74% which is, frankly, a remarkable number. So 74% of farmers and farm workers say they've been directly impacted by opioid abuse, knowing someone who's, you know, on the drugs, they themselves being on the drugs, having a family member on it. So that was pretty shocking to us. The other thing that was really enlightening was that three in four farmers, or 77% or so, as well as farm workers, say that it would be easy for someone in their community to access opioids illegally. So that the old thought that it was hard it was hard to buy illegal drugs in the countryside is no longer the case. Uh, rural adults say that that's true, easy to buy opioids in their community, 46% versus 19%. So again, the farmers, folks in the farm country say they've really seen opioids accessed illegally even more than have rural adults and that's that's pretty amazing us so you know why is this happen, happening well uh, i think the 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 
the simple fact is we've, we've got folks who are becoming injured in one way or another. They've got some kind of uh, pain in, in their joints or back or wherever it may be. Uh, they get a legitimate prescription, and next thing you know, they're hooked on this stuff. So it's, it's a real concern. Tune in tomorrow for part two of the interview. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. A lower wheat market, at least for winter wheat futures, as well as corn and soybeans. Let's uh, visit with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, I'll let you start off here with this negative market that happened today, but it was off those lows, that's for sure. Yeah, really good move in, in beans. I think, uh, you know, the soy meal markets went down and touched that 315 level in March and then traded back up to the highs uh, near 320. I mean, those are all good signs. We saw crude oil continue to rally. Um, you know, other than the cattle markets really falling apart into the close, I think it was a pretty good day for corn, and, uh, beans, and wheat. The outside markets are supportive. Not a whole lot to talk about in the fundamental scope of things, but uh, I think once we get to this USDA report, focus will be on South America. And when it comes to corn, you're going to be talking about a smaller crop year over year with demand being bigger, and I, I think that uh, is enough here to get things moving. Ethanol report this morning showed production was down a little bit this past week, but the stocks were higher. What did that mean to corn? Well, you know, we've seen the price corrected in, in ethanol, and but I, I really think you're going to see the, the ethanol price correct here come back up. We're record spreads between gas and, and ethanol, and you're going to see consumption to continue to stay strong here with that tax kicking in in the first part of the year. Uh, we're running ahead of, of pace uh, for ethanol production, so this is not unnormal to see markets correct like this or the, the production cycle correct like this at this time of the year. Uh, but, again, I, I really think a lot of it just is, uh, you know, we're going to shut down for season maintenance, and then a lot of that that'll get priced in. Uh, but I look for ethanol to kind of lead us higher here, um, and hopefully the livestock markets as well. I hope we haven't, you know, caved in uh, anything big on the on the downside here. Um, but, again, I, I, the commodity complex is really what I'm leaning on. Longer term, uh, you know, I think we're going to see some rosy days. we just got to get to this glut of fundamental data that's going to be coming at us over the next week and a half. Yeah, and next Friday's USDA report will have a bearing as well, won't it? Oh, absolutely. This, this next Friday one is, might be the I always say it's a big report, but this is this is like a kind of conglomeration of a bunch of reports. You have the grain stocks that'll kind of give us an update on what we're using and how how the the pace of uh, you know early sales has gone as far as what's on hand. You'll have the Wazi report that'll give an update on yields. Also talk about maybe some wheat production for next year, and then we'll touch on South America. So um, with all of that priced in, um, you know the movement of the dollar uh, combined with uh, you know good at price action, the commodities. I, I think there's opportunities to bottom. I, I would not be chasing this market lower. Uh, you know maybe you can maybe look to make a wheat sale or two here if we pop up above 40, 45. But with beans, corn, and uh, uh, beans and corn rather with South America going to produce less next year, I think it's a buy. Contact John Payne at danielsagmarketing.com. We've been talking with John Payne, Daniels Ag Marketing.